Welcome to Artscape. This edition is a very special one that I will be co-hosting with Jim Smith of Dance House as we co-present Stations by Louise Le Cavalier. She is a living legend, an amazing innovator of modern Canadian dance, especially in Canada. She's put us on the map internationally, working with Edward Locke of Lala Human Steps for a long period of time, David Bowie and Frank Zappa. Uh, why she's a legend is because she's so formidable and physically adept at doing whatever she commits to at the age that she's at. It's extraordinary. Is she still presenting her workstations that you'll be seeing shortly? Bienvenue, welcome, Louise. It's such a fantastic opportunity to have you here. So pleased to be co-presenting this upcoming show from November 23rd to the 26th. So I just want to jump in because Jim intersects with you in a, a different point in your career. And you definitely represent an incredible icon in Canada with regards to contemporary dance. And we're so pleased to be able to present you. So I'm just going to start off with what drove you to become a dancer? What were the influences that made you turn your feet to fire? Uh, I think it was the most un improbable thing that I became a dancer because I was very shy when I was young. Nothing in my environment threw me into arts. Uh, I was in the family uh, more. Um, my mother was a teacher, my father was a carpenter, and there was not so much music. Although my mother was singing all day long, but there was, we were not really into arts. But maybe that's why when I finally discovered dance first and then many other arts, music, for example, for sure, I got really totally touched by it. Uh, it was something new and very appealing. But I think it was so simple that it's, it's, it's not a big story about it. I just started to dance by chance. Somebody asked me to do a little part in a show. I was not even thinking about dance, but they asked me and a few people to dance in a play. And after that, I kind of liked the experience on stage. And I didn't know it was the experience of dancing. But the year after, I got in a theater group and I realized I didn't like to speak on stage. Uh, it was more magical to just move. The words, just okay, but I like to read them. But I didn't see how I could bring something more on stage. But the movement was very more mysterious to me. And I was young at that time, maybe 12 years old. It was my first touch with dance. And then after I continued improvising and doing the thing with the girls at school, I was in high school with girls. At the end, when I left the secondary school, people write little notes and everything, and everybody considered me a dancer. Although I was studying in science a lot, and I was going this direction. And then another coincidence at the CJEP, somebody, I met someone and she said, oh, there's a troop, uh, group of dance in the CJEP Bois de Boulogne. And then I found a fantastic teacher who was Louise Boudreau, who was ex-dancer from Les Grands Ballets Canadiens and dancer with the group Nouvelle Air. And she threw me right away after. She said, go take these classes with David Earl, with Sarah Sugiara and all the, the great teachers that were teaching in end of 70s. Then it ha all happened very fast. Wow, it's, it's rather Too amazing. fast almost. Montreal is a backdrop. Did the city, its vibe, its energy influence you? There was such an explosion of talent that appeared in, within a, a short period of time. The Chouinard, uh, the Gilles Mailloux, the whole extraordinary explosion of this uh, vibe and, and electricity that became not just locally recognized, but I mean, and nationally, but also internationally. So what was it about Montreal in a way that may have influenced you? Uh, 
don't really know, but I think it was a quiet place, Montreal. There was not the big pressure. It's not like when you live in New York and you come with the shows. It comes from New York or Paris or the major big cities in the world. Montreal seemed like the small city and maybe it didn't only seem, maybe it was at that point. And it was easy to, to live for an artist. It was totally inexpensive. You could have a, a flat for nothing. It Uh, allowed a way of living that was maybe uh, sympathetic uh, with the dancers and the actors and artists. I think we had freedom. I think sometimes also it's just by chance that things happen like that, that a few people emerge together in this city. There was probably uh, other people making great stuff in other places, but because here at that period of time, there were uh, a few, uh, like maybe Robert Lepage and Marie, as you said, and Jean Maheu and La La La, and maybe some of the ones that I forgot. It seemed that it's, it was a big thing, but now it's still a lot of things happening in Montreal. It's much more, but because there's much more everywhere, uh, I don't know the word, uh, dilué, diluted. You cannot say like, oh, all the good dance come from this place or this place or right. this place. It comes from yeah. many places. I would offer as an observer of dance that certainly there was also a political environment going on in Quebec. I think that really lit a fire that had artists questioning what did it mean to be Quebecois at that moment in time, mm -hmm. that there was a, a defining mm -hmm. of that culture that was mushrooming not only inside of the province, but across the country and even internationally, which is why I think mm -hmm. so much of the international world just sort of looked and said, what is going on in Montreal and became completely curious and fascinated about the hotbed that was sort of emerging as a result of that boiling cauldron and that change was on the go. The question that I always am fascinated about is, you know, what does it take uh, to make a center or a scene sort of bubble up in a way that is, uh, you know, something catches fire and everybody becomes fascinated by it. So Jim, you you two intersect going back to La La Human Steps and Edward Locke. Do you want to just explain the connection and your role in La La Human Steps and your impression of Louise at that time and everything? Picture it, it's 1990, if you can imagine, the very last decade of the century. I was a small town boy from uh, Ontario and had uh, received, you know, after being very, very curious about being in the art world in particular, I was lucky enough to sort of get an, an invite to go and work for a, some dance company, which is the way it was presented to me in Montreal. I can remember the response in the moment was, I don't really know anything about dance because uh, working at La 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 truly was my very first experience working in the dance milieu. Uh, but I would love to live in Montreal. So I quit a job that I had with the government of Ontario at the time. You know, my parents, I remember weeping when I told them the decision <laughs> that I was making. <laughs> but I was off to go join the circus, which had always been my personal, my ambition rather than inside of a government environment. But there I was, I arrived in 1990, and I can recall the great anxiety I felt uh, on the occasion of first meeting Louise in person. I had, uh, you know, accepted this job. I was about to pick up my life. I remember at the time, and Louise, I don't know whether you'll recall this, pre the digital era that we all live in, there would be press booklets, hundreds and hundreds of pages of press that would have been uh, copied from around the world that would be assembled. <laughs> And Louise's photo was everywhere. And practically every second headline was about Louise and her remarkable barrel roll and the remarkable performances she put on stage. So I can remember just like yesterday, the anxiety that I felt like, oh, Louise is coming to the office and this is going to be my first time to present myself and I'm going to meet her. Having become familiar with the work and all of the press that was out there, I was expecting this, you know, large personality that was just completely put me in my place in terms of overwhelming and taking up all the space in the room. And to my great, great surprise, 
Louise was as gentle, as shy, as she's just sort of alluded to, and so unassuming. And I remember just being baffled, purely baffled. Where does, what is that transformation <laughs> that happens that this tender, kind, very understanding person, she, she looked as beautiful today as she did in that moment. I, of course, was much younger. Um, <laughs> but, she was, <laughs> but she was so welcoming and so warm. So Louise has left a mark on me in so many ways uh, as a performer, just because she is such a powerhouse throughout all of her career, which just continues to, again, mushroom and expand. But then on a personal level, I've always been so impressed by the fact that she is such a warm and tender heart. We don't always tell the people who we admire who they are, uh, but Louise, this is me taking a moment to say you are one of those people in my world, in my life. So thank you for all of that. Uh, I'm wow. super touched to wow. hear this. I'm surprised because I remember meeting you also and Marvin uh, at that time. Marlin. Marlin. Marlin, that's right. Marlin Clapson. And Pierre Desmarais, uh, I was going to say that that's part of the, I guess that's part of the answer as well, Michael. So I was part of a, a new team of people that were being assembled around the administrative aspect of La 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 Human Steps. And it was headed up by a guy named Marlon Clapson and Pierre Desmarais, famous for a whole bunch of things, but so, certainly currently now as being the head of uh, Dance Dance in Montreal. It, the role of Edward Locke in your life, the creative fire that he brought to the table, can you just explain that relationship? Because it was such a an sustained relationship. It's, I think, over 15 years, right? Uh, certainly within La La Human Steps. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about him and his influences on the both of you? Well, Edward, it's been 18 years that I work with the company. It is a major influence. It's half of my life of dance that I, I spent with him. Uh, I was in great admiration for his work, and I still think he's so particular and different from everyone. He has a way of choreographing, and his dance has, has touched that are seen nowhere else, because everything else that I see, I see many copies of the same thing. Some are more brilliant than others, but I see uh, uh, fashionable waves, not in a bad way that I see this. Uh, it's like most dancers will dance a certain way and then you will see this in the choreographies of different choreographers. But Edward, he has his own very personal language that always stayed his. And you can't imitate that. You can probably do a jump or something like this, but it, each time you see the original, you see Edward's work, there's a quality that nobody can imitate. It's it's rare, it's poetic, it's strange, it's uh, powerful, uh, philosophical, and there, there are so many things that I see in his work that I, I, I couldn't find anywhere else. And it was complex choreography also. So for me, it was always interesting to work there because it was not just, okay, Louis, be an interpret and uh, shine on stage. I had all the instruments uh, that were more important than myself. Uh, it was, I had access to a beautiful choreography that I could make live. It was not like just become a star by pushing all your inner qualities. This had to be there. My qualities had to be there. But there was a strong structure of dance that was speaking so specifically and so openly at the same time that uh, I enjoyed it. And until the last time that I watched a video recently, I want to dance it again. It's like I miss this a certain food, a divine food. No, it sounds wonderful, Jim. And uh, for me, I know I, uh, it's a very different relationship, of course, because I would assume, you know, artistic relationship between a choreographer and a dancer is something that is very uh, unique and uh, very rarefied in that regard. 
But for me, as I say, you know, working at La 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 really was my introduction into the world of dance. I'm actually much more of a musician by my own personal practice and my own training. But I really did feel like I owe Edward so much in terms of sitting at his feet, uh, at the feet of uh, La 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 in those days, and just seeing an artist at that level. Uh, he was a titan, the way that um, he was able to have an antenna out in terms of being open to what was going on in the world around him, in terms of what was changing society, where were tension points inside of society. Mm -hmm. And I could see him collect these ideas and reflect upon them and then try and take them into the studio and then forge them into, craft them into a work which would then be manifest on stage. That was just an absolutely remarkable education in terms of the process of an artist, particularly one as fine as Edward and one who's had such a huge impact. And then more broadly, it was a remarkable education into the potential of dance, of seeing what a creative uh, movement can change energy in a room, how it can pull together an assembled crowd to suddenly have a shared experience and feel like they have been provoked and seen a new vision of the world around them. And for that, mm -hmm. I will be forever grateful to Edward. So no, no doubt he influenced you as a artistic director yourself, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, because that mm -hmm. vocabulary is just extraordinary. And also, I do think at that time, there was a break in classicism, even though there'd be uh, dancers on point in some of the work he did, it was this complete kind of genre-breaking kind mm -hmm. of work that really spoke of the selection of music, the way, yes. very much a fractured experience that had a hold to it in a way that, that struck me in the times that I've seen that stuff. But I would say, I would just offer that every artist that I encountered at La 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 Human Steps were, they, they were heroes. They were brave. They were prepared to take risks. This is true of like all the performers, all the creative collaborators, Edward, most definitely were always pushing the edges, everybody in the room and including themselves. It was mm -hmm. remarkable to behold. Again, a, 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 a fantastic lesson in what's possible. Luis, we have to at least touch on your relationship with David Bowie's. How did that come about? Again, a collaboration with Edward as well, right? At that time? Yes. Uh, in fact, I worked with David Bowie because Edward collaborated with him. For me, it was... It's strange to say it was more like a human encounter than an artistic encounter. Uh, I admire his work and him as an artist, his charisma is, and everything. But uh, it's just the person that I liked very much. And that's the person I miss now. Uh, and that was my surprise when I met him because I didn't expect to like him so much. I was not so drawn to meet stars uh, or huge stars. Uh, I, sometimes I don't want to meet them. But this time he invited, well, after we refused to work with him, refused is not a nice word, but he offered us a possibility to work for the class by the tour, but we didn't do it. We didn't, we didn't think it was time for us to do that because we were in the middle of creation of a new show. We wanted to go away from human sex and go in another direction. Bowie was asking us to redo excerpts of human sex in a one-year tour of Glass Spider Tour. That was creatively not the best thing for us at that moment. But the beauty about David Bowie, it says a lot about him, is that we said we couldn't do it. And he came back to propose us something else. And that was much more interesting because then he proposed Edward to do the mise-en-scene of his next tour, Sound and Vision. And me, as I was working with Edward, well, I was glued to that. But David, I think, wanted specifically that I dance in the films with him or in the production. So it was Artistically, it was interesting for me because it allowed me to dance for huge audiences and to realize something that I knew already, but to confirm that I didn't want to do that. 
because dance is not so amplifiable. You can amplify music a lot, and but dance is is complex physical movement. It's it's not enough to put big cameras and show the movement. Uh, then the cameraman has to be a brilliant choreographer to choreograph over the choreography. That's already brilliant and complex of Edward, for example. After I did those 10, 12 shows with him on tour, uh, I said to Edward, this is impossible. We can't do that. Uh, we can't. I don't want to dream about that. I never did. And I will not dream about this because it's extremely demanding. And it works because I was dancing five minutes in a show that was uh, two hours of singing. And then it was a good punch to arrive with a, a nice, a beautiful duet from Edward. It was just confirming me what I knew already. I had to go on my own track. I called it a break, a beautiful break to work with David because first he was adorable and it was an experience that was really different from what I'm used to in dance. And also the crowd is so cheering uh, before you even do a step. When I do a dance show, people don't scream before we start even dancing, so uh, or rarely. So that was a fun experience. Oh my gosh, no kidding. We could go on, but I'm going <laughs> to come back to you. We're, we're so pleased. You were here um, almost, it's four or five years ago, but it's so blue. We we're Again, uh, really happy. Uh, and that was so well received in our theaters. So I'm just curious, can you talk a little bit about stations, the influences behind stations? Okay. Uh, yes, yeah, station is, is it's not the next piece after uh, So Blue, because there was another one in between that I didn't bring to uh, Vancouver. I think it was a Battleground. Uh, so station is like more prolongation of So Blue than Battleground. I think I go by going... Uh, like a, a balance, you know, going right and left and right and left. So if So Blue was left, then Midbata at Battleground was right, and then I'm moving back to left again. So this is a piece that's kind of personal, and I'm not playing a character. Like in Battleground, I was more a character. And because I'm alone, it's it looks more personal as a piece. Uh, people think it's very much more personal, but I, I think it's because of the fact that I'm alone for the whole hour and five minutes. Uh, it's a quest that started, but it's always an evolution of the show before. But the show before, besides Battleground, was a show that I did with a theater group, the Théâtre Ubu à Montréal, uh, in Montreal. The team were searching into a book from Marguerite Porrette, a mystical woman from the 13th century that got burned for writing one, just one book called, uh, oh, I won't say the title, it's too long and I know it only in French. The one book she wrote got her to get uh, burned because she, she proposed something totally new uh, with the religion and the spirituality. So I think I did a little solo for this company, Ubu. Afterwards, the solo was short. It was a bit uh, like 20 minutes. And I thought there was really good material there that I should develop and I should explore further. So that's how Station started with st reading this book that this woman wrote. Maybe it sent me to something very personal. And after I developed other aspects, and I called it Station because in the end, I cannot spend... I think I wish I could do something like that, but I don't know if it would be good to spend a whole show on one theme. But I always switch teams because I'm just in many places, maybe. I accept my complexity that I'm not just to the stage. Anyway, too complex. But finally, many pieces appeared in the creation and I decided, oh, maybe it's station, like a voyage and stations or stops. I stop somewhere and I see what's there was the environment, was what's inside me in this mode. And then I moved to another place and then another place. So it's like a voyage. Fantastic. And it's I, I saw it in Montreal um, going back about five months ago. It struck me as well as being a, a mosaic of movement and storytelling. 
So it's it's very much a layered thing. And I want to come back to the fact that you break all notions of aging. You move. <laughs> You're eternally youthful. So I don't know how you've survived this. Most people do get injuries. You seem to somehow other have this ability to continue and you're also be, going to be working on a new creation as well how do you account for yourself being in such great shape I, i'm in good shape that's probably true that's true but i think i have injuries also like any other human beings i have injuries and i have had injuries a long time ago with la 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 and i continue to perform the first reflex when you get injured is to stop sometimes some injuries probably you have to stop but because I'm a dancer, I continued working through the, the injuries. But I, I was lucky enough that it was creation. If I had been in a ballet company, I would have had to quit uh, before four, at 30 something. But because we were creating the material, I had to be smart enough to find other paths, other paths that would be interesting for me, interesting for the choreographer, because I was injured. I was still working with Edward. I, I'm surprised now that I watch the videos and I really don't see that I was injured, it doesn't show. And even it brings kind of a little weird complexity to the dance, because when you have, if one dancer would have a perfect body all the time, everything available, the extensions, the jumps, the turns and everything, maybe we wouldn't be so creative. We'd just be satisfied by this perfection of the body. I like to dig into the imperfection of the body. I never, consi never considered that I had a perfect body. In a way, my imperfect body is perfect. Uh, that's going to be the way yeah, yeah. to see it. When there's an injury, it's like, oh, it's something else. And I try to not see it as an imperfection, but at a new state. Maybe now I have another injury, but I work with it and I find my way through it. I think dancing heals me. Maybe there's a little bit of that. Up until the day it won't, up to now, it has healed me. And right. some doctors helped a little bit sometimes too. <laughs> Jim, do you like to add to it? The thing that I would add is uh, just Montreal continues to be a hotbed of activity in the dance world. And certainly Louise's work, which just continues to evolve, get stronger and bring new insight into the human condition. And I would say Stations is just the next chapter, not just the next chapter, but it is the next chapter on mm -hmm. a very lengthy book that uh, Louise has written through her mm -hmm. career. Well, thank you. It's beautifully said. Thank you, Jim. Well, we can't thank you enough for being here, and we're just so pleased. And our audiences are going to be in awe of, of, of connecting uh, with you I'm, once again. I'm looking forward, and I'm, I have the track also, but I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> thank you. Thank we're you for welcoming you soon, Louise. It's going to be great, fantastic. It's very soon now. <laughs> yeah, nice yeah, ab absolutely. <laughs>